We're going to uh, have a video. Uh, it's about five minutes long that Tony and Amber Elswick put together for us uh, actually last week. Okay, so this is very fresh, hot off the press. Um, for your information, in terms of international work that we support, um, the two church planting related efforts that we support are uh, Tony and Amber Elswick from our church who serve in Nicaragua with Mission to the World. The other family is the Brock family, uh, Chris and Donette Brock, and they have two children named Oliver and Avonlea, and she's pregnant with their third child. And they actually are in uh, uh, near, down near Toulouse, France, but they are in France. Uh, and so with, with France being obviously on the front burner of the news, do think about the Brocks and pray for them. They are on a team that is uh, being led by a couple, <clears throat> excuse me, who uh, in another area, I can't remember the name of the town, I apologize. Anyway, they had, they had worked on a church planting team, built relationships with, French, with uh, the French in that area. There's now a French pastor of that church, and they have left it. So very much the Apostle Paul kind of model, and now their, their goal is to move to Toulouse, which uh, Toulouse is a very big town. That's where the home of uh, Airbus is, uh, the airplane manufacturer. Um, and no uh, Reformed Evangelical Church in the entire city. Uh, and I can't, I can't remember how big it is, but it's, it's a big city. So pray for the uh, Brocks. But uh, watch this from Tony and Amber, and it uh, gives us some prayer points uh, for them. And then Ray will come back up when they're done. Recently I was asked about how prayer affects our ministry. And I thought about this old cathedral that's in the center of Managua, and it's beautiful, but it's old, it's had years of disrepair and earthquake damage. But it reminded me about how the Catholic Church here has taught people to pray to saints. So you see that all over the place in the culture of Nicaragua. As cities celebrate Ipica, which is a celebration of the city's patron saints, and even it's in people's names. So you might uh, meet somebody named Tatiana del Carmen. Uh, The del Carmen is because the family prayed to the Saint Carmen and she gave them the baby. And so it's, it's all over the culture here. But we know that we serve a God who loves us enough to want us each to give our petitions directly to Him, and who's powerful enough to handle the workload. Directly across from this cathedral is a war memorial, and it's kind of striking because you have the church, which is a monument to peace, and right across from it, a monument to war. And that just reminds us that we live in occupied territory, that our enemy is not anything that man made, but it is is far older and more evil. Uh, Witchcraft is really powerful here. In fact, uh, one of the pastors we're, we're we're, we're working with talked about how he would find evidence of witchcraft in his church. Um, You can even go into the different neighborhoods and you can find somebody who will let you put a curse on somebody. And so we live in a place that's really dark and we fight an enemy who's really strong and prayer is our our weapon to fight against them with the power of God. Yeah, and we recognize that prayer was really important. And even before we moved here, we started a week of prayer. Um, So every year in the summer, sometime in June, we do a week of prayer where we ask people that support us, our friends, our family back home, to pray for us for a week. And we send out a list of things that um, we're needing prayer for at that time. And these, these weeks of prayer have been very powerful for us as just mere encouragement that so many people would want to pray with us for a week, but also we feel the spiritual warfare, and during that week we are encouraged uh, in the fight here in Nicaragua. Just for example, this past June, um, we had a couple of things that we were specifically praying for. Um, One of them was our daughter Bethany, when she was two, fell and, and busted four of her front teeth out. And um, she had four fake teeth for about four years. And this summer um, was the time to take those teeth out and see what was going on with the teeth, that her permanent teeth. Um, and we, we thought all along and all the x-rays along over the years, those permanent teeth were not growing. 
and we were um, looking towards some surgery that we were going to have to do to just try to repair and put other teeth there. Um, and during that week, this June, we asked people to pray for Bethany, pray for her surgery, pray for wisdom for the doctors, and pray for us as we are we're new to the country and still trying to figure out doctors and medical situations, and we didn't know if we'd have to come home um, to do surgery and all of that. Well, in August, I took Bethany to a doctor, a dentist here, and we took x-rays. And by God's grace and a miracle, we believe, one of her permanent teeth is growing normally. Um, and we're looking and hoping that the second one will continue to grow normally too. So that week of prayer, we believe, changed that situation. Um, another thing is uh, we had one vehicle. And in the States, having one vehicle is hard, but here, um, having one vehicle is even more difficult, we found. Um, we have older cars that are in repair constantly, and when it's in repair, we have no vehicle. And that was our situation for a lot of the first six to um, seven months that we lived here. We spent a lot of time without a vehicle, and it was very stressful. Um, as we try to figure out how to get kids to school, how to get to church, and all of those things. So that was part of our week of prayer this past summer. One of our things was pray for our second vehicle. We weren't sure how we would figure out how to do that, and we wanted to get a vehicle that was um, in well repair and not going to be a stressful situation for us. And because of that week in August, we had a church decide that they were going to purchase a vehicle for us. And that was a huge blessing. Um, we, Tony got a new truck, well, a new to him truck, a 1992 Mitsubishi truck, which is wonderful. It's an extended cab and in a pinch we can put all six of us in there. Um, so just those two examples really impacted, encouraged us and, and in this past, this past summer in that week of prayer. And we believe that the 60 plus people that committed to pray for us and as we gave them a list of specific things to pray for, we believe that all happened that week. And um, we're so grateful for those people. Yeah, we ask that you would continue to pray for us. We pray, uh, ask that you would continue to pray for our work as we're starting to launch out and start training pastors. We pray that you'd, uh, ask that you would continue to pray for our family as we continue to adjust to the third world. And we even ask that you would pray for us that we would uh, become better people, more devoted to prayer. Because even though we know that prayer is the power in which uh, we have to do our work and live our lives, sometimes we can uh, be lax in that too. So please be praying for us as we work to bring more training, more pastors, and more churches here to Nicaragua. Thank you. Thank you. I'm in the Bronx in France. Uh, and what's his name? Chris and Danette. Just brings a smile um, to me because uh, Danette um, came to our church when she was a little girl. Um, and t take what I just preached about um, Lazarus and apply it to Danette's. Danette's family was a disaster. Um, and uh, yeah. I mean, you would have never thought that this group, she had like a sister Danette and Lynette and Trishette, you know, they were all, um, and there were a bunch of girls and her parents got divorced and it was awful and they didn't stay but a couple of years and, and then they went off and you wonder whatever became of, uh, um, I don't think uh, any of the parents were Christians. Um, and then a couple of years ago I heard she was a missionary with MTW. I was like, <laughs> Wow, that is awesome. Is anything impossible with God, right? All right. Um, sometimes, you know, hey, again, before I last little chat with you guys, um, thanks for the opportunity uh, to be with uh, this church and, and to uh, be reminded of these things myself. It's a good work um, uh, you guys are venturing on, so... Thank you. Thank you for your partnership in the um, gospel. 
have a wonderful pastors here. It's been delightful to be with uh, with them. Be fun church to be a part of. Um, you know, sometimes the message of the Bible is really simple. It's not that complicated. And that's the case with the passage we're going to study. I mean, really, the message of the whole Bible. You know what the message of the Bible is? Is God is, um, is throwing a big party. Um, because that's where the Bible's headed, to a great feast. The Bi- that God's throwing a big party, and there's people that uh, are on the, on the outside that God wants invited to the party. Um, and he wants you to invite them. You know, sometimes we think evangelism is just, I haven't got the gifts for it. I'm not, you know, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't know how to defend Christianity. I don't, uh, evangelism is, is inviting people to a feast. There it is. God's throwing a party. Uh, that, uh, that, that if they knew what it entailed, nobody would want to miss. And we get to bring people to the party. So uh, if you have a Bible, uh, Luke chapter 14. Um, again, we're going to kind of pick this up mid, uh, midstream. Uh, it's, it's a story of Jesus dining at the house of, um, as it says, of a ruler of the Pharisees. So that's kind of the context within which he tells a, a parable. Um, he's already told the crowd gathered there another parable, but we're going to pick it up at, uh, at verse 12 of Luke chapter 14. And uh, why don't we stand again just to give a deference to God's word and, and uh, so it says in Luke 14 chapter 12, Now Jesus said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now when one of those who had reclined at table with Uh, Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Oh, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus uh, said to him, Well, a man once gave a... Jesus essentially says, you couldn't be more wrong. Um, He says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I've, I've just recently been married. I cannot come. So the servant came and reported this to the master. And the master was angry and said, well, then go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. There's still room. So the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Remember what the man said to him? He said, Blessed is everyone. Blessed is all of us, he was saying. We're all going to eat in the bread of the kingdom together. And Jesus said at the end of this parable, What? I tell you, none of the men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but not the word of God. The word of God stands forever. You may be seated. How awesome. We have Bibles. We have the word of God. A couple years ago, I I came across this scripture. Jeremiah 6.16 says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Just isn't that a great picture? You're trying to have you ever been in this situation? You ever been lost in the woods or something? Or trying to figure out where to go? And so you're actually just looking and you're looking for a path. You're looking for the pathway that will cut through. That's what the Bible says. Thus says the Lord. Stand by the roads and look 
and ask for the ancient path. Some of you in this room are young. That's what you should be doing at this time in your life, looking for the ancient paths. Um, Look for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and then walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. Isn't that awesome? So what are the ancient paths? Well, we're going to talk about, in the the few minutes here, um, the path of hospitality. Hospitality is an ancient path. It is an ancient practice um, commended to the church. So we've been talking about um, the treasure, and we've been talking about Jesus and, uh, and Zacchaeus seeking and saving the lost. And here's a practical calling uh, on our lives that has power in our culture, the uh, hospitality. Hospitality matters. Hospitality is deeply personal to me. When I was uh, 17, I graduated from high school, I deeply influenced by my youth pastor who constantly had me in his home watching him in his marriage and his parenting and his life and the way he interacted with people. Um, not, not teaching me, just had me with him. Um, uh, when I graduated from high school, I went to West Virginia, to Webster County, West Virginia, and uh, a pastor and his wife took me into their home, uh, and I was his assistant for the summer, 17 years old. Matter of fact, he left for a month and, and left me in charge of the church. Um, uh, and then the next summer I went back and did it again uh, for, the, for the whole summer. I lived in the house with, now as, as much as working with him and in church work was valuable, the, the most invaluable part was Beth. Beth Bondurant, the pastor's wife, was a remarkable woman. I mean, she, there was uh, Alice Clevenger. Alice Clevenger was, was Looney Tunes. And she lived across the street from the church. Alice came into choir practice with a shotgun uh, and, uh, and pointed at Beth, the pastor's wife, um, told her she was a whore, because uh, Alice was, was nuts. And, uh, and, and I saw Beth every night when she made dinner. She made a plate for Alice, covered it up, sent one of her kids down uh, uh, to Alice's house. Uh, she fed Alice Clevenger, the lady who hated her, every single night. Um, Beth would take her old um, car, kind of like a, the, the missionary, just so excited he got a 1992 truck. Um, Beth's car had a push-button transmission. That's how old it was. And she'd take it up into the hollers and hills, and she would pull back on, every Sunday morning early, she'd pull back on the church property, and out of that car would spill the refuse uh, from out of the mountains. I mean, children that hadn't bathed all week, they didn't have shoes, they didn't, uh, I, I mean, the a collection of Appalachians, the poorest of the poor, would pour out of her car. I mean, talk about illegal. I mean, you know, there, that'd be like 13 kids would get out of this little sedan that you'd have four seat belts, you know. Um, and uh, it was a remarkable hospitality. I was the, the beneficiary. On our honeymoon... My wife and I, on our honeymoon, um, there was a girl who was supposed to sing in our wedding, a friend of my wife, and didn't um, show up. She um, uh, we found out a couple weeks before the wedding, after a couple months of non-communication, that she wasn't going to come, that she had lapsed in, into a lesbian relationship. And so um, on our honeymoon, we happened to be going within a couple hours of where she lived, so my wife calls her up and says, come and meet us. We're, we're going to be in the part of the country where she lived. Why don't you come and meet us? So she met us for dinner, and then my wife said, you've got to spend the night with us. So she spent the night in the hotel room with us on our honeymoon for three straight nights <laughs> before the weekend was over. And, um, and, and then my wife compelled on her to... You know, don't go home until you call this certain pastor and his wife who had played a huge role in, in, in her life. They sort of lived the, we were in the middle. Her house was about two hours that way. This couple lived about three hours on the other side. And so on her way out of town, she called that couple and they said, oh, you've got to come stay at our house. And she went uh, and drove over to this pastor and his wife who had influenced her for Jesus and she never left. 
She never went home. She abandoned the lesbian relationship. Hospitality. Hospitality. Powerful hospitality. Two weeks ago, I was in New Jersey, and my wife and I went to the church we helped start um, 36 years ago. We were married. We were, when we married, we moved to New Jersey. We Three weeks, at the end of that honeymoon, we moved to New Jersey, and we um, were helping start a church there. And so when we walked in the church two weeks ago, um, somebody said, so, the church had like 60, 80 people. It's still, still there. Um, they said, so, is this your first time? <laughs> well, not exactly. Uh, oh, you've been here before? When were you here last? Well, 35 years ago. Um, we don't come that often. And, uh, um, and, uh, and we knew that nobody was there back from then, you know, at the church. And we just, uh, we're in the area, so we it was kind of, we're on a nostalgia tour. And uh, kind of like when I drove in here last night. Uh, when I drove in here uh, yesterday to meet the guys for lunch, I said, I've been here before. I got examined to be a prison church planner in that other building um, 32 years ago. Um, so... It was all, so here we are at the church in New Jersey, and um, um, they said, so you were here at the beginning. I said, yeah, we were here at the beginning. They said, well, then you would know Val Marquetta. And my wife and uh, my jaw, our jaws just dropped. Yeah, there's Val. She's, she's here. Well, Val Marquetta came in 35 years ago, 36 years ago, sat in front of us in church. She was living with a guy. She was a... a you know, Catholic, totally culturally Catholic family, as in you're dead to us if you're not Catholic uh, family. And uh, um, Val was a mess, and I don't know how she found her way into church, but she sat there, we got to know her, and we invited Val to come live with us in our little basement apartment. Um, It was one room. She was in the same room with us uh, for a week as we tried to help her break away from a very abusive relationship. And I didn't even remember, but Val said, yeah, uh, when you moved to uh, seminary, we, I came uh, that sem- the first semester of the fall, and you challenged me to make a commitment to Jesus. And she said, I went back and I did. Um, and we just wept uh, there. And, and Val Marquetta looked at us, tears running down her face, and she said, so this is what heaven feels like. You know, when you have a reunion with somebody that... that uh, um, you didn't. You didn't even. Uh, you didn't even know their story. It'd be like that with uh, Donette uh, Brock. Actually, someday I'd love to hear her story. Uh, can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine how uh, that happened. Hospitality. It's our heritage. Do you realize that? It's our heritage. Do you know that from the second century to the sixteenth century, any traveler in the Western world would spend all of their day as they traveled doing what? They would be scanning the horizon in search of one thing. What would they be looking for? The church or a monastery. Because everybody knew the church was a place where strangers were welcomed as guests. They didn't have hotels. Um, Lodging places were usually houses of ill repute, right? So where did you lodge? For almost all of Christian history, where did you spend the night if you were a traveler? The church or in a monastery. This literally is our heritage. This is what Christians have done since the time of Christ. They put people up for the night or for longer periods of time. Everybody knew that churches where strangers were welcome. The vocation of hospitality is deeply embedded in our historical DNA. You know, the rule of St. Benedict was um, all guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ, for he himself will say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Once a guest has been announced, the superior and the brothers are to meet him with all the courtesy of love. All humility should be shown in addressing a guest on arrival or departure. By a bow of the head or by a complete prostration of the body, Christ is to be adored. Listen to that. When the guest comes in, you fall on your face before them because you regard them as Jesus. 
Christ is to be adored because he is indeed welcomed in them. The abbot shall pour water on the hands of the guest, and the abbot with the entire community shall wash their feet. Um, the church at its heart is to be a community of welcome. Philip Howley wrote a book called um, Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed. This is one place in the world I want to go someday. It's in France. It's called Les Chambons, if I pronounced it properly. Um, it's, it, and Philip Howley was, uh, was not a Christian. I don't know whether he ever became one. But, but he was studying. Uh, he, he would describe himself as being numb uh, um, but to the evil of Nazism and World War II. And, 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 and you know, the, particularly the French people was a very disturbing in World War II because... You know, it's not the Nazis that, uh, that killed the Jews. It was the French people that killed the Jews. It was the French themselves who turned in the Jews. It was, uh, it was the collaboration of a great deal of the population. Um, and, uh, and, and, it, and he's reading about it. He just said he was just numb. I mean, emotionally, spiritually numb. And then suddenly he began to read about the people of Les Chambon who had a Protestant pastor named Andre Trachme and his wife Magda and they systematically hid Jewish children. They saved thousands. Philip Halley said when he was reading the, the memoirs in, in, in some library somewhere discovering this um, sort of hidden um, um, community, they, th- this was a unique place because you, if you know anything about Protestantism in France, all the Huguenots were slaughtered. So the only place they survived were up in more rural places and mountainous um, places where they could hide. And so these people had great skill in hiding because their heritage was being persecuted. So they, they understood right away who the persecuted were and their responsibility to the Jews. And they hid them. Jewish children were sent to them by the thousands, and they hid them. And uh, it was this pastor and his wife organized the whole thing. You can go to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in, um, uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem, and there's a, there's a, a tree of remembrance to uh, Pastor Trachme and his wife. Um, uh, and and when, the, when the Nazis ultimately came to take the pastor away, and they did, um, I, I, his, wife said, his wife said, you will not take him until you come in my house and sit down at my table and eat a meal. It's dinner time. That's the way we do it in our house. So she had the Nazi soldiers at her table, <laughs> and she fed them uh, before they could take her husband away. Um, it's just beautiful. Uh, the, the, this is an incredible joy to be a part of this rich historical legacy. So th- that's our, this is our challenge. Um, as, as my small part of this conference uh, ends and, and you guys continue to consider this this weekend, um, is that our neighbors are continuing to wander, but they're no longer looking to the church, are they, as the place where strangers are welcome and, and safe. Um, and they're not only not looking for the church, but we're too often not looking for them. We must recover the ancient path, the lost vocation of hospitality. I imagine almost every one of you have watched the movie Les Mis, or certainly you've seen the, um, uh, the Broadway production Les Mis. Um, and, and there's so many beautiful parts, but one uh, beautiful part is right at the beginning, isn't it? When, um, um, when um, Jean Valjean is, uh, is a fugitive on the run, and he comes to the, the door of the monastery, Remember? You remember what the priest um, sings or says? Come in, sir, for you are weary, and the night is cold out there. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There's wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Those would be worthy words to put over the entrance of any church, wouldn't they? There's wine here to revive you. There's bread to make you strong. You know, come in. There's a bed. Rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. This is the mission of Redeemer Church. It's to offer hospitality 
to the broken. So let's look at the parable together. The parable of the great banquet. The first point then is the the yearning host. The recovery of this vocation of hospitality begins with the conviction that God is a host who yearns to have his house filled for the feast. God is the yearning host. He is going to have his house filled. And the church is to be a community of welcome because our Father is a welcoming Father. Jesus, in this passage, is at a very tension-filled dinner party uh, with the most conservative religious leaders. And it says, this is, I didn't read this part of the passage, they're watching him carefully, which means they are looking to prosecute Jesus. They're looking for things that they can um, nail him um, to a cross, ultimately, over. And um, this, this tension there is, uh, is palpable in the room. Jesus... Uh, to uh, not to alleviate the tension, criticizes the guest, okay? Because they've sought the places of honor, um, and he criticizes the host for only inviting the most socially prominent, okay? So you could just sense the tension. The religious people hate Jesus. Jesus isn't real fond of them. They're all at a dinner party together. This is a dinner party where everybody wants to leave. Nobody's having fun, <laughs> The, the, the tension in the room is um, you can cut it with a knife. So one guy gets up and he decides he's going to break the mood. Um, he's going to um, you know, ease the, the feelings in the room. And he says, oh, <clears throat> you know, blessed is everyone who's going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. He's basically saying, blessed are all of us in this room because we're all shoe-ins you know, at the feast. Well, that just sort of sets Jesus off. He just can't let it go. And he tells the story then. He says there's a man of immense wealth and he puts on a sumptuous feast. And the invitation list is, is lengthy. But when the day uh, comes and the meal's ready, that's the way it went, um, the, the invitation would go out. Everyone's invited and they'd made uh, indications that they were going to attend. So when the feast is finally prepared, messengers are sent out to say it's time to come um, now. But when they went to all these important uh, people in the community, they... Um, uh, they wouldn't come. They decline one by one by one. Um, and so the, the host is uh, furious, and he's adamant that his bounty be shared. So he tells the, the servants to go find the poor and the lame and the nobodies and the outcasts and compel them um, to come in. And, and they, they said, well, we've done that, and we still have space. So you know what he says then? He says the unthinkable. He says, go further out. And you know what further out meant? Bring the Gentiles. They weren't even allowed to eat with Gentiles. Jesus is telling a story to people where he's criticizing the host. He's criticized the attenders because of the way they vie to be the most important. He's criticizing the host for inviting only the important. Why did he have Jesus there? Because Jesus is kind of a player, right? It was all about the host looking good. And uh, um, so Jesus portrays God as almost manic to have people in his house, as a host who yearns to share his fullness with the hungry. And this is the story of the Bible. Why did God create us? God created uh, us as an act of hospitality, essentially. God makes a house and says, come live in my house, in my domain, and, uh, and he provides food for us to eat. Enjoy the bounty of my creation, God says. In the Bible, God's always feeding. In the wilderness, he's feeding, isn't he? He's giving them manna. He's giving them um, meat. Um, God's providing them shelter and fresh water in the wilderness. And the prophets picture all of creation moving to what? You know, the, 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 the prophets, Isaiah 25 says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts, will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, refined wine. There's Old Testament prophets talked of dry riverbeds becoming rivers of wine. There's people in my church, it's it's their life verse. That's their... um, It's the story of the Old Testament, but Jesus 
Um, you get to the New Testament, and he's at a wedding. That's his first miracle. He usurps the role, essentially, of the wedding host. He produces the best wine of all. Jesus feeding a large crowd. Jesus eating with the um, unwanted. And then, of course, Jesus initiates the Lord's Supper. Jesus tells us that God is a welcoming dad who throws a big barbecue to celebrate when his lost son comes home. And the whole Bible ends with a marriage feast. It's a beautiful story. The story of the Bible is beautiful. That's what evangelism is. It's inviting your friends to the feast. It's what the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is, um, is this, you know, experiencing the welcoming heart of God. And that's really what I'd say first. Until you experience the welcoming heart of God, you won't welcome others. You can't do hospitality out of duty. People figure that out. Um, you have to have personally experienced the welcoming heart of God. You know, he is so determined to fill his house that he pays for the feast, does our God. It's interesting in communion um, that the, the, the Catholics call, and I, I don't, I, I actually studied a little bit this week because I was curious, why do they call the bread, why do they call it the, the host? Does, does it have something to do with hospitality? And in some ways it does. You know, I, I looked up, what does that mean? It comes from a Latin word, of course, and it means, um, the Latin word means the victim. Um, host refers to the victim. This is the victim. Um, and uh, what host is the victim? Jesus. In other words, the meal that he provides for his people is a meal that comes at the cost of his being the victim. I mean, this is a host who, who gives a dinner party to die for. He dies. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. We have the bounty of God because of the price the host was willing to pay to welcome us into his house. Take and eat my body. The welcoming love of God. This is power. Yeah, I'm sure you sing that song in your church, I'm running to his arms. The riches of his love will, will always be enough. You know, I'm running to his arms. The picture of that is a, is a beautiful I think that, that perhaps the most powerful verse in the Bible is when it says the prodigal son, um, his father ran out to him and he kissed him. He kissed him. His wayward son came home and he finds a father who runs to him and kissed him. My wife and I were going on a um, trip up I-95 um, just south of Savannah, somewhere near, I think it's called Darien, Georgia, but it got, got off, and we went about 20, 25 miles in a, a tiny little African-American uh, enclave, um, just a little gathering of trailers there, and there's a restaurant. And I'd read about it in Southern Living. Uh, it was Ben Affleck's favorite restaurant. Of course, had to go there. And, um, <laughs> and as we pulled into this um, uh, very um, uh, exotic building, uh, the entire parking area was carpeted uh, outdoors with carpet that had been pulled out of trailers. Um, so, I mean, the most bizarre thing you ever saw, the most shabby, chic thing you've ever seen in your life. And, uh, but as we pulled onto the carpeted um, parking area, um, out came the chef, and he barreled out the front door of the restaurant, Chef Jerome. And, and as we got out of the car, he said, My family! My family, you're here. And he came running out to the car, gave us a big embrace. And of course, never seen this guy in my life. <laughs> and he said, come in, come in. He said, the hush puppies are already on. I threw them on when I saw your car coming down the road. That's how he welcomed people um, to his restaurant. It's pretty fascinating. When I actually, um, we, uh, we asked about his wife because we'd watched a YouTube video on the two of them. And he said, oh, she's not well uh, at all. And, uh, and uh, I said, could I pray for it? He said, oh, would you do that? He said, um, uh, he said are you a preacher? Uh, I said, I am. He said, I knew it. I knew it when you were driving up the road. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
he said, well, well, let's go, go on to my house. So he walked us out of the restaurant towards his house. <laughs> to go. I mean, it was like an experience like I've never had Chef Jerome. Uh, but there's something about welcome, isn't it? It was like the welcome of God. My family, my family is here. My wife and I went to church in Los Angeles uh, to a church called Pacific Crossroads. And, you know, you're in a big city, and we had to find um, a, a, a They meet in a high school, so we had to park in a parking garage. And when we got out of our car in the parking garage, there was a guy standing there with a vest, and he said, go walk down that stairway over there. We got to the stairway. uh, Somebody at the bottom said, go walk down that alley to the end of the alley. See the person in the vest down there? It took about eight of those people telling us to walk the serpentine path a couple blocks to get to um, where they met in in Malibu. And... uh, and when we got to the church, we were just struck with the warmth of the welcome. It was an astounding experience, really. So much so that they served the Lord's Supper and you went forward to receive it. And, and the guy who served it to us was so warm, my wife humiliated me. She took out her phone and took a picture. <laughs> she wanted to do a selfie with the communion server. Um, Oh, that's all I got today here. That's all I got. But, uh, you know, we welcome. um, Redeemer Church is to be a place of welcome. Why? Because we are the welcomed. We've been welcomed by God. We are the the wayward son, wayward sons and daughters. So um, we we note first the yearning host. Secondly, I want you to see the, the wanted guests. To re-engage the vocation of hospitality, we must believe that those outside the church are the Father's desired guests. Part of our problem with evangelism is we don't like people um, uh, that, don't, uh, that aren't a part of the church very often. We don't like our neighbors. We don't like non-Christians. We don't love them. So why would they want to come be a part of a group that we're a part of? Um, Jesus says to those gathered at the dinner party, when you give a dinner, don't invite your friends and your family or your rich neighbors. Um, uh, listen, Jesus' day was a, a, a day of a very stratified um, culture, um, stratified by class. It's all about who you knew, right? So everybody wanted to socialize with the beautiful and the wealthy and the important and the successful. And you use social engagements to establish your status. It's kind of like selfies, actually. It's kind of like uh, Instagram or Facebook. When people see someone important, they want a picture with them, but they don't want just that person's picture. They want to prove that they were with that person. They want a picture of them in a really nice restaurant. They want a picture of them in San Francisco or them in New York City, right? It's sort of a way of saying, look, I'm important. I'm important and valuable. Look at the places I go. Look at the people I know. Look at the restaurants and kind of food that, that, uh, that I can enjoy in my life. It's using all of that to artificially embellish your status. Got it? Um, when Jesus says, don't invite your friends, um, of course he's, he's, he's using a Semitic you know, form of communication. It, it was exaggeration, right? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Um, well, it's, a point, it's to make a point, right? Uh, the Bible doesn't teach self-mutilation. Um, you know, if, if, the, if the Bible said, Jesus says um, you, you should hate your father and mother. Well, it doesn't mean hate your father and mother. It means in contrast to the kind of affection that you would have for me. When a mother says, I'm going to strangle my son, well, she means that, actually. That's, 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 unless she's Jewish, she actually means it, yeah. So Jesus is saying, you know, invite those who offer you nothing. Invite the people at the bottom of the pile. Invite the poor and the crippled and the lame. Um, and notice that when the rich host invites the people well off, they decline, right? I've got property to view. Uh, I've got oxen to work out. I've got a, I've got a new marriage, um, they say. Um, and, and then the man interrupts. Blessed is everyone. We'll all be at the feast of God. And what Jesus essentially says, and that man's trying to be very genial and congenial, Jesus says, no, it's not true. 
you're not going to be at the feast of God because you won't accept the invitation. He's saying to the people in the room, you are not gods. You do not belong to God because you will not accept the Father's invitation. They would not come to the feast because they were too self-sufficient to need the mercy and charity that Jesus came to offer. Jesus says to the Pharisees, there are more tax collectors. The tax collectors and prostitutes are closer to the kingdom of God than you. And again, we have to, if we're honest about reading the Bible about that, we have to say that Jesus is saying uh, that to us. It's much harder for us to get the gospel than it is for um, the down and outers. Philip Yancey asked a prostitute, he was in Europe, and he asked an Eastern European woman who was a prostitute, he, he read her that passage. He says, Jesus says that the prostitutes are closer to the kingdom of God than, than the religious conservatives. So he asked the prostitute, why do you think he would have said something like that? It seems bizarre. And this is what she said after, after a number of moments of silence. She said, everyone has someone to look down on, not us. We are at the low. Our families, they feel shame for us. No mother nowhere looks at her little girl and says, honey, when you grow up, I want you to be a good prostitute. Most places we are breaking the law. Believe me, we know how people feel about us. People call us names, whore, slut, hooker, harlot. We feel it too. We are the bottom. And sometimes when you are at the low, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes, we respond. Maybe, she said, that's what Jesus meant. Jesus is saying to the people in that room, Are you, you're kidding yourselves. You're not going to be at the feast because you're too important. You're too important in your own estimation. You don't see yourself as desperate. You don't see yourself as the needy. We have to admit that we look at non-Christians with contempt and the poor with disdain. But God loves them. Our neighbors are desperate. They don't know who they are. They don't know where their true home is. They are hungry, and they are trying in desperate ways to fill themselves. And more and more today, we have people who don't even know what gender they are. I mean, it's crazy. The emptiness and brokenness. But it's got to break our hearts. You know, something I've had to say to people in our church is stop being outraged all the time. And stop watching whatever makes you outraged. So if Fox News has you constantly outraged, stop watching Fox News. Stop pouring that into yourself so that you're constantly angry. You're constantly outraged at everything that happens. Outraged at, uh, if you're going to be outraged at something, be outraged at your heart. Be outraged at yourself. Anything that makes you outraged at other people is probably really not very healthy for you. Be outraged at yourself. Um, so our, you know, we gotta have, we have to be heartbroken, heartbroken. The Bible tells us, you know, remember Jonah. Why did Jonah run? Because he hated the Assyrians. You know why Jonah ran? Because he knew God loved them. He knew God. He hated, in a sense, he hated God. He hated the mercy of God. If I go there and tell these people about you, they'll turn to you and you'll love them. And I'm not going to be a party to that. When I was in school in Mississippi, I became the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Utica, Mississippi. And um, there were 12 people in the church. And I would go there and preach on weekends. So we decided to have a revival. That didn't mean the Holy Spirit decided on a revival. We decided on a revival. and Because uh, that's what they called them. They didn't have global gospel and global outreach or whatever conferences. They had revivals. If you wanted to have anybody come yet. And it was funny because every church had one. The Methodists had one. The Baptists had one. And, and the Presbyterians hadn't had one. But nobody would come unless you called it a revival. And then each church would fill the other people's churches for their revival. <laughs> So I, I made posters announcing that we were having the uh, revival. And, uh, and I stopped at a lady at the church's house and I said, 
tell me, I'm looking places in town, I can put this up, and I noticed right when you pull into Utica, there's like a little uh, truck stop, a restaurant, or whatever, and uh, I'm a, I'm a, is, it, is it, do you think it'd be okay if I put a poster in there? And she said, Pastor, you can't go in there. People might see you walk in there. No pastor should be in a place like that. And she said, why would you want to invite those people to the revival anyway? She said, you put a poster up in there. What? Why? What if they come? <laughs> Revivals are for good Christian people. <laughs> you know? um, I knew our church was starting to change from our moralistic, self-righteous posture right-wing Republican posture. When, uh, when, a, when a girl asked her one time what brought her to church, and she told me that she'd had an affair. She had an affair with a married man, and his family had broken up. She'd done something horrible. And, uh, and she'd become a Christian, but that was her story. And she said she had gone to an, another church in our town and started to tell them their story, And someone at the church said, Honey, I don't think this is a church for you, but you need to go down to Seven Rivers Church because I think they take your type there. (laughs) There's a yearning host, and, uh, and the guest he wants, as I said earlier, are not often the guests we want at our parties. And last of all then, um, what's our role? It's to be the welcoming servants. There are three characters in this parable, right? There's the host, the guest, and the servants that go out to invite and gather. The servants are sent out to the poor and crippled and blind, to the highways and byways, to bring those far from God, to bring uh, them near to him. This is our calling, right? It's to summon our neighbors to the feast by the practice of hospitality. Our ideas of hospitality are skewed They're more Martha Stewart than they are Jesus. Our idea of hospitality is entertainment, of of having a beautifully set table, of having, you know, in other words, so much of our hospitality is about impressing people with our gifts. And we kill each other with our hospitality. I've always said to women, you know, when you know another woman's coming over, you clean the house till it's spotless. So she walks in and says, oh gosh, my house is never this clean. Well, neither is yours, Right? (laughs) You just tormented another woman by this false picture of, um, so, so, you know, hospitality is not about uh, table settings and southern living and restoration hardware. I mean, it's not about looking good. It's philoxenia. It's the love of strangers. Hospitality is welcoming strangers into your life, into your home, and into your church. And if you do it very often, guess what? You won't look good, and your house won't look good. You have to invite them to see you when you don't look good. It is offering home and food and rest and warmth and conversation and beauty and safety and peace. So a a couple things and I'm done. How do you offer hospitality to strangers? First of all, offer it to Christians. Offer it to Christians. You know why? Because there's a lot of strange Christians. Um, I mean, some Christians are incredibly strange. In fact, the church attracts people who are very often mentally ill, people who are um, off. Um, and, and if you're in a, you know, that's the beauty of a church. A church is made up of people that you want, if, if it is a church of Jesus Christ, it will be made up of people that you don't naturally like and you wouldn't choose to hang out with, except for Jesus. Um, so offer hospitality to Christians. They need it because there's people in your church that aren't going to get it anywhere else. Um, and there's people in the church you don't know and there's people in the church you don't want to know. So I'd ask, is your small group welcoming? Are you on the welcoming team? Do you utilize a greeting time in church to really greet? You know, Do you come to church? You sit on Sunday morning and think, well, I'm going to skip church today. It's sort of like, wait, have you forgotten God's bringing people there that week. And if you're not there, who's going to welcome them? You've got a role. You're on mission. People are coming. God's bringing people to his house. Well, a friend of mine uh, started at, at his church, and he knew he had to change the culture of the church. But, but in, their, in their part of their service, they had a greeting time. You know, stand up, 
past the peace, whatever you call it. And, um, and, and uh, he said uh, that, a, that, a, that a, a visitors came for the first time, and the people next to them in the pew greeted him very warmly and got to know him a little bit and said, now one thing you should know is we'd love for you to come back, but if you come back next week, you can't sit here because our friends sit here. They're just away for this weekend, but they'll be back next weekend. These are their seats, so please come back. Just don't sit here. Because um, they were just being kind, you know. And, um, and he had to cancel the greeting. We're not doing that in our church until I can actually teach people. In other words, we need a move of the Spirit of God that actually makes people welcoming before we have this thing where we invite people to welcome because the way they welcome is harming more than it's helping. Um, so there we, uh, you know, my, my daughter, I have a daughter who lives in, um, in Reynosa, Texas. It's down on the border with, with uh, Mexico. And um, she told me um, she had gone to a gym for the first time to work out. And she's on the treadmill or, or uh, something next to another girl. And they, they, they get to talking a little bit. And uh, um, the girl just moved to the valley, as they call it. And... Um, and she said, where'd you come from? And, and she said, uh, I moved here from Ocala. And my daughter said, no kidding. Um, uh, I came from Crystal River. And the girl said, really? I had, just before I moved, I had started going to a church in Crystal River. And my daughter said, really? What church? And she said, Seven Rivers Church. And of course, by this time, my daughter's just amazed. She said, really? Um, and she very wisely said, what'd you think of it? <laughs> And uh, she said, um, you know, I'm not a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian. Uh, and, uh, and I started going there, and it, and it, it made me come alive to, to Jesus. And, and my daughter said, well, would you believe my dad's the pastor of that church? And uh, a couple weeks later, she sent my daughter a text. Every day on my way from Harlingen to Brownsville, I listen to sermons from Seven Rivers. I'm so grateful for the 25-minute drive there and back. See? Long sermon. I handle both ends of the commute. (laughs) The sermons have inspired me to read the Bible and understand the words. I've changed and learned so much, and my relationship with the Lord is growing every day. None of this existed before I stepped into Seven Rivers Church. You just don't know who's walking in the doors on any given um, week. I don't know where that girl came from. I don't know how she got there. I don't know what his story was. I didn't even know this till she ran into my daughter in Texas in a, in a gym. You don't think God had something to do with that too? Um, so offer hospitality to people in church. Offer hospitality to your neighbors. Jesus was always eating with people. You don't have to preach to them. People aren't argued into the kingdom. They're loved into the kingdom. Rosaria Butterfield, I, 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 I bet most of you know her story, right? Tenured professor of gay, uh, I, I think they actually call them queer studies. Um, at Syracuse University, um, becomes a believer in Jesus. She abandons a gay lifestyle. She's not only married, she's married to a pastor. She has children. Um, and what changed Rosaria Butterfield from a committed... Um, Again, not just a lesbian, but a lesbian professor who was lecturing at various Ivy League institutions because she was considered the expert on lesbian studies. And she was writing a book on why the church hates gays. And in researching the book, um, she invited um, communication from um, evangelical Christians to tell her why they hated um, gays. And she ran across a Presbyterian pastor... And he, his letter was thoughtful and kind. And uh, so she decided to meet with him a little further. And he ended up inviting her for dinner. And it prompted a, a, uh, a friendship with the pastor and his wife. And he, you know what Rosaria Butterfield um, says about it? She said, I, I love this. Ken, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches. The Christians who mocked me on Gay Pride Day were happy that I and everyone I love were going to hell was clear as the blue sky. But that's not what Ken did. He didn't mock, he engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. 
My motives at the time were straightforward. This will be good for my research. But something else happened. Ken and his wife and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate and vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. What, what gay person in their wildest dreams ever believed they would encounter a Christian pastor who would repent of his sins instead of asking her to repent of hers? He repented of his. There it is. Changed her life. Hospitality. Hospitality to neighbors um, is powerful. And then hospitality to the poor. Give preference to the broken and to the needy. Um, and, and God bless Redeemer Church. You care about your community and you're expressing it um, in a thousand ways. I love what, uh, when, when I was uh, in high school, um, they used to have a, uh, I went to a Christian school in Miami and we had chapel and probably the most memorable chapel speaker I had a number of times when I was a high school student was a, a little old Dutch woman named Corey Ten Boom. And um, naturally, I was a high school student, so we used to mock her. Um, just telling the truth. And uh, her accent and, um, you know, and uh, we smuggle she Bibles. And... Uh, <laughs> Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom um, and her family. Her father, Casper Ten Boom, was a watchmaker and uh, had a repair shop, and he was venerated in his town. He was an old man when the Nazis came. They hid Jews for a couple of years, and then somebody ratted him out. You remember the story? And so the Nazis came to uh, ship them all off. But Casper Ten Boom was well into his 80s. Corey Tenboom was wasn't a young girl when, when that happened. And, um, and they said to her father, we don't want to send you off. So it was bad PR for them. I mean, the town loved this guy, and, and this, is, this is in Holland, you know, so the Nazis didn't want the town to hate them. They said, we don't want to send you away. Just tell us you'll stop doing this. And Casper Tenboom looked at him and said, if you leave me here and tomorrow there's a knock on my door and God has sent people who need safety and shelter from the evil of this world, then I will open my door and I will take them in. Because I am a Christian. This is what we do. And they took him away he didn't make it a week. He died in a week. Uh, an old, frail man. We open our door to the broken people of this world because I am a Christian. This is what we do. It's always been what God's people have done. It's the ancient path. And, uh, I, and I tell you who I was a powerful influence on, by the way, your children. For those of you who are young, Give your children the model of, uh, of this practice of hospitality. Um, it's powerful influence on them. So brothers and sisters, thank you for uh, letting me share this uh, uh, time with you. Redeemer Church, it's been good for uh, my soul. Let's pray together. Jesus, blow us away again today, tonight when we lay our head on our pillow, tomorrow, that you wanted us at the feast and that you paid this great price um, to have us in your family and to have us at your table and to lavish us with, with, uh, with your love and your generosity. And so um, we have all this to look forward to and all this to enjoy even now. So warm our hearts again at your lavish welcome so that out of us that same welcome might come uh, to those who are yet far from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just say thank you.
Uh, again, thank you, Ray. Uh, we appreciate your ministry. Um, been a blessing to us. Um, so let me uh, let me pray, uh, if I can, uh, pray for Ray uh, and his family and uh, and the ministry at Seven Rivers. And uh, thank you all for coming. Uh, do come back tomorrow. Um, the sermon will not equate to two commutes. It will probably only be one. Uh, we're uh, uh, equal to one. Um, but uh, but nevertheless, please join us. Uh, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for our brother, uh, and thank you for his faithfulness. I do pray for he uh, and his wife, uh, that you'd protect their marriage, uh, that you would guard them from the evil one, uh, that you would continue to give him uh, energy. Um, 32 years in the same place is a long time, uh, and it's, it's a long time to be around uh, some of the same people. Uh, and, and that can be wearying and, 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 and just a great deal of fatigue. And so I pray that you'd uh, give him times to rest, uh, give him, give him uh, sabbatical times, and uh, help he and his uh, elders to understand uh, not just the role that he plays, but the other teaching elders that they have there, the other pastors they have. But bless uh, Seven Rivers and make them a blessing uh, to the community of Lacanto and Crystal River and indeed the entire county uh, called Citrus County. Um, and I, and I, I, I pray for us, too, uh, that we would take what it is that uh, he's talked about last night and today, uh, that it would sink deep into our hearts and our souls. We would consider it throughout the rest of this weekend and that we really would be a people uh, who uh, are enthralled by the treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we really would be a people who uh, think about ourselves as being on mission and living intentionally and purpose, purposefully, and that, uh, thirdly, we'd be a people who uh, love uh, the ancient path of hospitality. Um, so continue to help us, Father. Continue to help us along the way as we seek to be faithful, as we seek to be um, welcoming, as we seek to be a blessing uh, to our community here in Winter Haven. Um, thank you for these who are here. Would you bless them as well uh, and give them rest this weekend, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.